A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. It's Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, and TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook, and alongside us uh, this week, we've got the European football expert, Kevin Hatchard, who's here. Uh, we've got loads to talk about on the show, and this is a taster of what's to come. I'm not convinced United are finishing the top five. I think, again, I think Villa look a better team with a better manager at this moment in time and a better game plan. If you look over the course of the season, he's underperformed his XG by 4.58, even more than Darwin Nunez and Nicholas Jackson. Scott Minto needs to be here to, to come into the Dominic to start the Dominic Calvert-Lewin fan club. There needs to be a sliding scale here. You know, you can't allow Chelsea, Manchester City whoever it was historically, to spend loads and loads of money and get themselves into a great position and then go, hey, by the way, now you've got cash, you can't spend it. That's, that's, that's un- that is unfair. It's supposed to be the best league in the world. I don't think you want a table at the end of the season where there's a series of asterisks next to clubs and that, you know, final league positions are decided on points deductions. I don't think that's a pretty look for the Premier League at all. I think the temptation will be maybe to go for a more shiny manager, maybe, you know, I wonder if they'd make a play for, you know, somebody like Deserbi or somebody like that, you know, somebody who's a fashionable manager. But I think Eddie Howe's done a really good job. Morning, Kev. You okay? Hello, wherever you are in the world. Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're watching this. Hello. Uh, Crookie, hello. How are we? Uh, we're very good, thank you. Are you, uh, are, you uh, are you flying without wings this morning? <laughs> Are you hanging out with an uptown to, girl? <laughs> to me bumping into Shane from Westlife after the game. Yeah, absolutely. You, you see, also, do you know what? I was celeb spotting, actually, at Old Trafford on oh, Sunday. Yeah. So, yeah, Shane from Westlife was staying in the same hotel. Uh, Tommy Fury was uh, in the director's box next to the press box. Luke Littler, the dart sensation. And Wayne Rooney was just sat a few seats down from me as well. And, of course, the Jim Ratcliffe was there. Did you take your autocraft book like you used to back in the day and lean over all of the poor <laughs> kids, knocking them out of the way with your big rangy arms just to get an autograph and then go, it's for my nephew? I didn't. I refrained from doing that. I was very Did anybody ask for your autograph? <laughs> Funnily enough, no. Oh, You've had a haircut, though, so uh, that's good news. Um, Kev, do you have a good weekend? I did. So I was in Germany uh, for the Bayern game on the Friday night, which was great, and then covered Leipzig on uh, Saturday. So uh, got a, got an idea of what Donny van der Beek could maybe do for Frankfurt, Sasha Kalajic as well. Uh, obviously, very poignant scenes on Friday night because of Franz Beckenbauer's recent passing. It was really emotional and really classy, really well done, actually, um, by Bayern and by the Bundesliga in general. So... So yeah, it's been it's been quite an emotional few days in Germany. Uh, and Eric and Harry, okay? Uh, Eric, we don't know yet because he didn't play, but he seems happy to be there. 
Uh, Harry looking very, very good. Uh, 22 goals now in the Bundesliga. He's only played 16 games. So I think it's fair to say it's going really well. <laughs> Just a bit. OK, let's look at the weekend in the Premier League. Uh, starting off with a belting 2-2 draw at Old Trafford. Needs an incisive cross. It's going to be plucked by Trafford, oh. who has beaten to it. Goalkeeper has missed it, and Colton Morris has popped it into an empty net, and Luton have equalised. Now the Burnley supporters and the players are surrounding the referee, suggesting there was a foul on Trafford. It finished at Turf Moor on a feisty Friday night. Burnley won. Luton won. Slips it into Malagusta, who comes in. Field. Sterling goes down. It's a penalty. Palmer places the ball down as he steps up left foot and drills it into the bottom corner. Leno goes the wrong way. He was never in doubt. He's so confident, isn't he? And it's been a game actually where Chelsea totally dominated, but haven't shown the composure. But there was plenty of it on view there. Chelsea win a fourth home game in a row for the first time in nearly four years. It's Newcastle 2, Manchester City 3 and it's Oscar Bob with the goal and it's Kevin De Bruyne with a pass. What a pass! Full time at Goodison, Everton nil, Aston Villa nil, goalless here, probably a fair result. Tottenham hit back for a second time on the afternoon and I have to say it's a really, really good finish from Rodrigo Benton -Kerr. Manchester United 2, Top them too. Well, it was an entertaining game and there were lots of players out for both teams. Spurs in particular robbed of pretty much their first uh, choice attack, although it was great to see Van de Ven and um, Christian Romero back in the starting lineup. Uh, Crook, you'd argue that actually Spurs over the piece look better, but did they miss an opportunity here? Potentially. Um, I think if you look at the possession stats, the shots on target, they dominated those areas. And apart from five minutes at the start of the game and five minutes at the end of the first half, Tottenham looked the more cohesive unit. I think they were the team playing with uh, a better identity, a better plan. United played in moments, you know, and they had some good moments. I thought Rasmus Hoyland took his goal really well. Marcus Rashford, who was a frustrating watch for most of the game, on the one occasion he did actually get his head up and be sensible, he found the back of the net. So that would do his confidence that the world are good. I was really impressed with Kobe Mainu in midfield. Again, I think in a, in a team that lacks intelligence football-wise, he's got a very good football brain on young shoulders. But I think Sir Jim Ratcliffe watching from the stands will realise there's an awful lot of work to do to get this Manchester United team anywhere near to being competitive in terms of the top four and, and challenging for trophies. Um, next time uh, anybody asks you what does uh, two and a bit billion pounds buy you or whatever it is that he's spent on getting uh, a slice of, of Manchester United, the answer is a seat next to Sir Alex Ferguson, isn't it? Or actually two seats next to Sir Alex <laughs> Ferguson uh, because he got to sit with his wife alongside the great man. Um, to, listen, Kev, you did warn us that Timo Werner was going to struggle a little bit. And he looked like a player who hadn't started a game since October, which is, is is what the case is yesterday. He looked a little bit at off the pace, let's let's put it kindly. Yeah, but I thought he did okay. Um, he, he made the second goal, uh, and that's the kind of thing that he can do coming in off the left-hand side. I, I thought he, yeah, the pace is there, but as we said, it's going to take a while to gel. It's going to take a while to understand what Tottenham want from him and what he can do. But I, I thought, actually, considering he's not been playing that much, he's not been super fit, I actually thought he did okay. I thought he was a constant threat. I thought he was always trying to get into 
dangerous positions. That's the one thing with him, his activity. He never hides. He never stops. He'll always keep on going. So I actually thought it was encouraging. And he made a tangible effect on the game because he set up Benton Coors goal. So I think that's a decent start. Okay. Um, uh, as far as the game is concerned, I thought Benton Coors played really well, took his goal really well. I thought Hoyland, the way he struck the ball for his first goal, almost instinctive. That's more like what you want to see from him. I thought that was good. Rashford obviously got on the score sheet for the first time at Old Trafford since he scored there for England in June. Another big Philip for him. When you look at the, the, the two teams, who do you balance as the team that's going to break into those Champions League places? Because basically, when we look at it now, there's Manchester City, there's Arsenal, there's Liverpool, who we all think, I think, are going to finish in some configuration of the top three. Then you've got Aston Villa and Tottenham, who are probably the two nearest to getting into the top four or to, to being around the top four. And then you've got sort of Manchester United. You've got Chelsea now, who've just got up to within a point of Manchester United as well, you know, who are just starting to sort of make the steps forward. Uh, who who out of that group are likely to, to finish in the top four, do we think? Are Tottenham still way ahead of those two teams that I've just mentioned? I think they probably are, to be honest, especially when they get players back. You mentioned they were without Son, Madison, Kulisevsky was ill. You know, if, if Ange Postecoglou's naming his best 11, all three of those are in it. You've got Romero and Van der Ven coming back now. And considering that Van der Ven hadn't really trained all week, I thought he was outstanding and literally ran himself into the ground by the end. You've got Saar and Basuma to come back into midfield. And you have to admire the fearlessness with which they play. I spoke to Ollie Skip after the game and said, this must be a joy to play in. Ange ball is fantastic because you go to places like Old Trafford where historically maybe they've tried to shut up shop and just try to kill the game under previous managers and they took it to Manchester United. So I've never really deviated from Tottenham being in the top four after the start they had to the season. Yes, Assembler are having a brilliant campaign, but sooner or later they're going to start dropping points. They are dropping points actually at this moment in time. So I, I think Spurs will finish fourth. Okay. What about you, Kev? Yeah, I think they certainly seem... I think Alex was absolutely right at the start when he said they're more cohesive than United. They've got a plan. Yeah. There's a clear identity there. There's a clear style. Uh, with United, it's very much kind of improvised jazz in a lot of games. There are kind of long stretches where it's just kind <laughs> it of... Does sound that good? You know, do, no, no, but I'm not a fan of improvised jazz, so there we go. So <laughs> I, I, I just think it's all a little bit off the cuff, whereas with Spurs, there's a clear plan. And you have that framework and then the individuals can kind of bring their flair to the table. So I think when they get injured players back, I think I'd be interested to see if they do some more business. I know Dragosheen has gone in there. I'd be interested to see if they bring somebody else in um, just to pep things up a bit. Uh, but I, I do think it, it's funny, isn't it? We talk about clubs needing several transfer windows, needing lots of time. Postacoglu's gone in there and within a matter of weeks, he'd completely changed the style and how they were going to play. He's kind of making a bit of a mockery of that. So, yeah, I, I think Tottenham are a better place than United. A cigarette paper for me between them and Villa because I'm very yeah. impressed with Villa. And we'll move on to Villa very shortly. Um, I suppose it is worth pointing out that we got very excited this time last year or, or someone in the group got very excited last year around about this time. Um, when a manager who had been appointed in the previous summer uh, had a very good start to his career. And maybe we should use that as a warning, not to get too excited when a manager comes in, makes an immediate <laughs> splash, and then things you know eventually tail off. Can't quite remember who that was, but I remember that they were little, 
They were bored and they were labelled a genius, but I just can't place it. Um, finally, up to say that there is a 70% chance that a fifth place will deliver a, a Champions League spot for next season. Now, that's at this moment in time, and that was incredibly enhanced by the last the last match day of the Europa League, which should have tipped it very much in England's favour, whereas the day before, it didn't feel like that at all. Um, but... Um, I suppose it's what happens in the last 16 in the playoff round of the uh, of the uh, of the European competitions. We'll get a greater picture at that point. Uh, but uh, do you think Manchester United could nick that crook if if that was on offer? I think they're going to have to play a, a lot better than they have over the course of the season so far. Yes, you can take some positives out of yesterday, but as we mentioned, it was individual moments of brilliance as opposed to any real team plan that the manager had come up with. They've got a nice run of fixtures in February. I was looking at this morning, actually, there's, there's opportunities to pick up points that they go to Villa Park. Uh, obviously, if they could win there, that would be a big statement. And I think in order to get in the top five, they're going to have to start beating the teams above them in the table, which they've struggled to do. Their only win against a team in the top seven, as of yesterday, was against Aston Villa at Old Trafford, when obviously, again, it was sort of second half, Moments of magic from individuals digging them out of the mire. So I'm not convinced United are finishing the top five. I think, again, I think Villa look a better team with a better manager at this moment in time and a better game plan. I still think they'll finish above Chelsea, by the way. I still think my bet with you is safe. Okay, well, we'll Mm. see. Because how many points, when you made that bet, I think there was about seven points between them. How many points are, are between them now? Is it one now, is it? Just the one. Just the one. Um, okay, let's move on to let's move on to Everton nil, Aston Villa nil, uh, Stelma at Goodison Park, and we will get to the the big story that surrounds not only Everton but Nottingham Forest in just a moment. But we were talking about Villa, so let's just sort of link that into how they played yesterday. They had some great chances, I thought Villa, but didn't quite get over the line. Um, but again, they've they've dropped points away from home and away from home. It is a bit of an issue for them. I did a bit of a study of their their away form versus their home form. They've got the best home form in the league, bar none, at this moment in time. But their away form is the seventh best in the league at this moment in time. So I suppose that's why they're they're they're, they're fourth currently uh, or third currently. Uh, but uh, that is if they've got to improve on one area, that is going to be it. And if you go through recent results, you look at their sort of just getting over the line against Brentford, um, drawing with Sheffield United on that Friday night dropping a two-goal lead against Manchester United, just about getting past Aston uh, Middlesbrough in the FA Cup, drawing nil-nil with uh, Everton. And and Burnley was a struggle for them just before that. So are we seeing signs, Kev, actually, of them maybe tiring a little bit? Possibly, and maybe a bit of a regression to the mean as well, because I think it's fair to say we thought they were on an upward curve, but maybe not this good. So I think there's an element of that. I thought they looked the only team that was going to win it in the second half against Everton. They made some decent positions. Duran, I thought, caused problems when he came on. Um, McGinn had that curler that went just wide. Pickford's had some good interventions. But I, I do like the the shape of them. I do like, I love the midfield. I think Douglas Louise and, and Camera are great. I think if you've got that kind of pairing in midfield, that's really going to help. And yeah. so I, I thought Diaby was a bit disappointing and he looked absolutely furious to be taken off. <laughs> so uh, that, that'll be a bit of an interesting conversation between him and Emery. But, but look, I think they're, they're still ahead of where we thought they would be. 
and there were, there's always going to be kind of dips in form. The, the away thing's really interesting because if you look at Emery's career, his home form is excellent generally with his teams. You know, Sevilla were outstanding at the Sanchez-Pituan. Villarreal were, were great at the Ceramica as well. But away from home, struggled a bit, to be fair. Mm. So I think that's always been the case, that his teams have been exceptional at home, a little bit more variable away from home. So that's no big surprise. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin had a huge chance, like a a massive, massive chance, and yet fluffed his lines again. And there was part of me that when he went through one-on-one and they'd beaten that high line, I thought, he's not going to score this. I had absolutely no Mm. confidence in him. And that's completely different to what I would have said two, three years ago when he was literally... Like he couldn't. He could not miss, and he was the guy you'd want a chance to fall to in in the penalty area. This is running in behind, charging towards goal. Goalkeeper to beat. Goalkeeper comes out. He's just got to slot it to either side, and he hits it straight at the goalkeeper. That's a player devoid of confidence because he's just smashing it. He's just trying to beat the goalkeeper with pure pace when really he needed to be a little bit more poised with that. If you look over the course of the season, he has underperformed his xG by four point five eight even more than Darwin Nunez and Nicholas Jackson. Scott Minto needs to be here to, to come into the Dominic, to start the Dominic Calvert-Lewin fan club. Although I was already massive. I was like, I love Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I've been doing this for years. Uh, but he's really sort of gone dry, hasn't he, over the course of the, the last uh, year or so. We can't put it all down to injuries, can we? Well, I think it's taken its toll. Uh, I think there's a player there who, who doesn't necessarily trust his body anymore. And I think that's a, a problem. So maybe subconsciously you're playing slightly within yourself in that scenario. Obviously, the goals have dried up as well. And you mentioned you didn't have confidence in him to put that chance away. He probably didn't have confidence in himself. And actually, those nearly five goals that you talk about underperforming XG, they make a massive difference for Everton in, in terms of their points tally. And we're going to talk about maybe more financial breaches coming their way, so they might well need those those additional points. And it's sad because we're in a European Championship year. I think, as you said a couple of years ago, we'd probably been talking about Dominic Calvert-Lewin is having a chance to get a seat on the plane, but he's miles away from that at this moment in time. And it's an issue not just for him personally, but for Everton, because they don't really have a plan B when it comes to that striker position, because Beto, who they spent a lot of money on, he's not come up with the goals either. No, he hasn't. Um, Villa missed a chance to go level with Liverpool at the top of the table. They'll be looking over their shoulder when Arsenal go uh, to uh, the Emirates and take on Crystal Palace at the weekend live on Talk Sport because if they were to win that Arsenal, they will leapfrog uh, Aston Villa on goal difference. Uh, They're very close in goal difference. 17 plus for uh, Arsenal, 16 plus for Aston Villa. That's live on TalkSport lunchtime on Saturday. Uh, All of this could be completely irrelevant though, right? Especially this bottom of the table chat because Everton now 17 points. So they're only actually one point above Luton Town in the table. Um, But all this could change again, couldn't it? Because as far as we understand it, the Premier League are going to charge uh, both um, Nottingham Forest and Everton uh, for yet more breaches of profit and sustainability rules. This time, uh, looking back over three years, is that correct? Yep. Uh, certainly the information I have is that both those clubs are, are fearing the worst. Probably by the time this uh, this podcast goes out, we'll know um, exactly what the scenario is because the Premier League were due to announce any breaches on Monday. Um, 
it's under their new profit and sustainability rules. And the idea is that there's a fast track system now so that all cases are, are dealt with within three months. So that does mean that if Everton and Forest and indeed maybe more clubs in the Premier League have breached those regulations and there could well be a points deduction coming their way between now and the end of the season. That would be a big problem for Everton because, of course, they've already had that initial 10-point penalty uh, that they're challenging. Uh, and we should point out this is a separate charge. This is relating to the financial period between 2020 and 2023. Clubs permitted to record losses combined of £105 million. And the Forest case in particular is interesting. They've already hired a top lawyer to potentially defend themselves against any breaches. And their argument centres around the transfer of Brennan Johnson from Forest to Spurs. I think they got more than £45 million for him in August. And that's key because it means that won't count uh, in their last set of accounts. That will be knocked on to the next financial year. Now, Forest defences, they could have sold Brennan Johnson to Brentford for £30 million in June, earlier in the transfer window. And that £30 million would have been recorded in their last set of financial accounts. And that may well have got them under the threshold. Their argument is surely it's better to sell a player for more money for long-term stability. Yeah, but them the rules, right? That's, that's obviously the counter-argument. But I would imagine that's going to be very difficult to argue on the basis that we could all have done that. Yeah, you know, Everton can turn around and say, well, we could have sold Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but we chose not to because it's better to have him in the team and keep our place in the Premier League than it is to sell him on a particular date. So, you know, you can argue but that. But that gives you sporting in- advantage. I, I guess Forrest would argue that by holding on to Brennan Johnson for an extra couple of months, they haven't really gained an on-pitch advantage because it was during the off-season anyway. Well, it wasn't during the off-season. It was in the first month of the campaign. But also, the other thing is, is it's worth pointing out there, is that sporting advantage gives you extra money in the league if you end up getting uh, up further up the league or if you stay in it. If you don't stay in it, you lose a lot of money. So, you know, I mean, the rules are the rules, aren't they? And I think that's going to be one of the, the things that the Premier League seemingly... Listen, whether you re- agree with the rules, and I think anyone who listens to this podcast on a regular basis believes that we don't agree with the profit and sustainability rules, I don't think we do. I don't know what Kev thinks about it, but I know that me and Crooker are very sceptical about the idea of pulling up the drawbridge with no sort of rolling mechanism. You know, someone said to me the other day, I think it was Faker others, when we were doing the uh, the, the the game on Saturday, that, well, there has to be a, a, a date in history where you reset and say, right, okay, now we're going to be really stringent on it. And my argument for that was, is why? You know, there needs to be a sliding scale here. You know, you can't allow Chelsea, Manchester City whoever it was historically, to spend loads and loads of money and get themselves into a great position and then go, hey, by the way, now you've got cash, you can't spend it. That's, that's, that's un- that is unfair in itself. So there's got to be a way of sort of, and I don't know what it is because I'm no mathematician or e- economist, but there's got to be a way of sort of balancing that, le- that, that playing field. But I've mentioned this before and it got very boring very quickly. But I do think there is a day of reckoning coming in where we, where we lift, we level the playing field. And Kev... I think that's exactly what the Americans actually want. Uh, the problem is you're never going to get uniformity, but the rules do need teeth. You, you can't have a situation where, because what happens is if you say to everybody, oh, okay, you've got money, you can spend X, Y, Z. Yeah, for a while it might work, but what you'll end up having is clubs spending overspending to try and get up to the top level. And they might have money for a bit, but they're not always going to have that money. And what you'll have is clubs in serious, serious trouble. So I actually do like... Because we don't want I do like the spirit of the PSR. Yeah, I like the spirit of the PSR. I I think 
the idea that you say, look, you, you have to spend within your means. And clubs have shown that you can do it sensibly. Everton have done it appallingly badly, like wasted money, bought in players they didn't need, managers they didn't need. Forest, scattergun approach, have spent an enormous amount of money in the transfer market that they didn't need to spend. So I understand that, you know, the argument of saying, right, well, we don't want, you know, the drawbridge is up. All this is doing is protecting the top four or top six or whatever. But actually, what it should be doing is stopping the market getting superheated so, and totally, stopping and I clubs agree with that. I totally agree with themselves. that. Well, look at Dai Yong at, at Reading. He spent loads of money and then realised that he was going to come under sanction for profit and sustainability rules in the EFL. And he thought, why am I doing this? I'm not doing this. This is ridiculous. Threw his toys out of the pan, stopped funding the club. And now we have a situation where that club, and you know, I feel for Reading fans, and I've done a big thing on it uh, when we were doing their Eastleigh game. You know, it, it's it's a horrible situation for them. And it's, it's, it's basically because of, of a variety of different reasons, but because one man has decided to pull the plug on it. The, the one thing I'd say is, is that, if someone, for example, let's just say that the, the PIF give Newcastle a load of money, just give them, just take, you know, take out 400 million from the cash point and go, that's now yours, Newcastle. Why should that not be allowed to go into their budget? There shouldn't be state I mean, ownership for a start. And that's effectively well, no, okay, what that's, it is. That, that's, a, that's a different conversation. I'm talking about if, so, if, a, if a rich owner gives you money and says to you, here's £400 million, that's in your budget, you do what you want with it, I don't want it back. That surely is not a problem, is it? Because that's what happens in any business, right? Yeah, but it completely distorts the market. And it superheats it so that basically only a very, very select group of clubs can pay those kind of wages, can pay the... If you take it back to the pandemic, we were talking about all oh, we need to be sustainable. Clubs are losing loads of money because they might lose TV money. Clubs are going to go to the wall, blah, blah, blah. Where's that gone? Where's that gone? That was a few years ago, and we've actually gone the other way. So totally I'm actually for bringing stuff down. I'd actually say, you know, uniform spending caps, salary caps, try and get some kind of competitive balance because at the that's moment, okay. I get that's it. That's fine. But you, but that's not what we're doing, is it? We're saying that, and that, and if you, that, if that's the rule, then that's great. If everybody's got a salary cap, everyone's got a, a certain budget on how much money they can spend on players, if a certain amount on on uh, on wages, then that's fair. But if you are saying that, by the way, those big clubs that make hell of a lot of money and they get this huge amount of revenue, wherever you get your revenue from, whether you shirt sponsorship, whether it's corporate hospitality, whether it's the fact that you've built an arena out the back of your your stadium and you're generating income from it. whatever it is you can spend that on your players but this club who's just been promoted to the premier league or this club who's been in the Pro- premier league for ages but have been treated badly by a previous owner cannot spend the same level the budget has to be different then that's that's not that that is meritocracy that is that is a that is a sliding scale of who can spend what and therefore you either completely keep that and say yeah do you know what go for it or you say equability and if there's and if there's equitability in the in the market, everybody can only have a certain amount to spend on wages and on uh, transfers. Then that is fair, but it's not fair if you're shutting new people out because historically the others have got loads of cash. So I can understand why Nottingham Forest kicking off. I can understand why Everton uh, are resigned to it now. I feel like Everton fans are resigned to it because they feel like they're going to have to yeah. just take the hit and go down. Um, so I suppose the question then is. 
is if Everton do get hit with a points deduction and Nottingham Forest do as well, even if it's three points for, for both of those this time around, Crook, that we find ourselves in a situation where Luton and Burnley might both stay up. Well, they'll be watching with interest, for sure, because Luton in particular are only a point behind Everton. As you mentioned, they've got a game in hand as well. And they are a team who did cut their cloth accordingly in the summer. And we're going to talk about their game on Friday night in a moment. But I think they deserve a, a huge amount of credit for the way they've gone about it in the Premier League without breaking the bank, whereas Burnley obviously did spend big money. But there is an integrity issue here as well. It's supposed to be the best league in the world. I don't think you want a table at the end of the season where there's a series of asterisks next to clubs and that you know final league positions are decided on points deductions. I don't think that's a brilliant look for the Premier League at all. Another question, Kev, because you talked a lot about overheated market, but there is only one overheated market, right? And that is in the UK. We've sort of talked about this a lot on this uh, podcast. That is that this Premier League market is the only one where people spend hundreds and hundreds of million pounds apart from Real Madrid, the occasional superstar every now and again. But no one else does that, right? So... If that is the case, then it is still impossible for anybody who isn't one of the historical clubs to compete because you can't buy those top players. I think there's a couple of things that play there. I, I still think the, you know, if you look across Europe, the distortion by Champions League money, for example, is enormous. You've got leagues where teams dominate because they've had year upon year upon year of Champions League money. The, the whole thing is broken. There's no getting away from it. When yeah, you've got a situation issue, where, yeah, the whole thing is broken. It's completely um, distorted. I know there's a lot of lobbying for more solidarity money. What that is, is that clubs that don't qualify for European competition, they still get some money from UEFA, but the yeah. percentage is so low at the moment. And I just think there are so many inequalities in the sport. You have to accept that to a certain extent. But I just think there's a difference between encouraging competition and saying to ambitious clubs, yes, we want you to get up to the level of the the clubs that are already established. And I think Villa have done that in a in a smart way so far. And hopefully that will continue. There's a difference between that and saying, just spend what you want. It's fine. And then you get Forrest making loads of signings, Everton getting themselves into all kinds of trouble, other clubs as well. I think there has to be some kind of responsibility in spending because otherwise clubs are just going to spend, spend, spend without any kind of cap and they're going to get themselves into real bother. Yeah, I think it does need just an over an overhaul really, doesn't it? Just a complete overhaul of the system. And I wonder whether or not with the amount of American owners that are coming into the league that eventually that's what we end up we end up with maybe not now, maybe not in five years' time, maybe in 10, 15 years' time. But I think you can sort of see a, a situation where we end up trading people rather than transferring people. And we end up uh, maybe maybe uh, doing things a little bit different with the way we spread our money out. I think that's happening already, by the way. You look at this transfer window, there's been one permanent signing into the Premier League, and that is Dragosin. The rest of it's all been loan deals. I think last year, January, Premier League clubs spent a record £800 million they spent about £26 million so far this window. So I think already we're seeing a massive impact in the market and it'll be interesting to see if it's the same in the summer. Well, let's, uh, let's see because Todd Bowley hasn't uh, got out his cheque yet. <laughs> um, okay. Um, yeah, that's the other thing, isn't it, Chelsea? What's, what's going to happen there? You know, clearly that, that, that level of spending cannot go unchecked. But, you know, let's move on. 
Uh, let's uh, get on to Saturday's action now. And it was the, uh, the well, a, a late Kevin De Bruyne show at St. James's Park. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Flimsy staying slowing you down? Well, it's time to upgrade. Armadillo builds durable North American-made tablet stands and kiosks. We're so confident, we offer a lifetime warranty. So, elevate your business and visit armadillo.com. That's A-R-M. O-D-I-L-O dot com and use code ACAST for 5% off. Armadillo, built to last, designed to impress. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. It's a kind of magic. And the acclaim you can hear for Kevin De Bruyne. Blonde haired Belgian ready for action. De Bruyne gets to the byline, chips it in. Doku! Five! And you just watch him and you think, you're making it look so easy. Oh, Kevin De Bruyne does the extraordinary incredibly well. Kevin De Bruyne has found the bottom left-hand corner of Martin Dubravka's net. What a finish by De Bruyne. You just look at him as a player. I mean, he is, on his day, the best player in the country. It's a massive lift. Not to just the manager, it's to his colleagues and it's to the club, the fans. He's in back for 30 minutes, 35, 40 minutes. It's so big. It's Newcastle 2, Manchester City 3 and it's Oscar Bob with the goal and it's Kevin De Bruyne with a pass. What a pass. When you are that good, like they are, when teams are camped in, you've got to find some kind of magic moment some wondrous piece of skill and of course De Bruyne has done that for Man City for the last what four or five years whatever it's been Kevin De Bruyne he's fit again and is he going to be the difference what wins the Premier League for Pep Guardiola's side it's a little bit like uh, one of those scenes from the Marvel movies isn't it where uh, you know there's a big battle going on it's epic and you really feel like the goodies are all going to lose then all of a sudden Either Iron Man is revived or the Guardians of the Galaxy turn up in, in what was that, Infinity War right at the end or, or whatever it is. And all of those superheroes from all over the, the universe just turn up and just help out. Only the superhero on this particular occasion was just one man, floppy-haired Kevin De Bruyne, who, who looks about as much like a footballer as, as I do, but yet he plays it with a grace and an ability far superior of anybody else uh, that is playing in the Premier League. He is just like a godlike figure, this fella, isn't he? I mean, he he really is amazing to watch. And that finish through the legs of the defender into the corner just sums up how amazingly brilliant and, and out of this world he is, Kev. 
He's a genius. There's, there's no getting away from it. I mean, you know, you look at, as you say, use the defender, really measured finish into the bottom corner. The ball for Oscar Bob is outrageous. You know, it's the perfect weight. It's the perfect angle. Um, I think Newcastle let him play to a certain extent. I thought there was a lack of pressure on him at times. You know, if you stand off him, he's just going to take you apart. And he's been doing it year upon year. I mean, you go back to when he was in Germany, for example, brilliant for Bremen, who weren't that great at the time. Superb for Wolfsburg, got them into second place in the league that season and they challenged for a bit. And he was way above uh, the level uh, at Wolfsburg. He was outstanding. So um, when City brought him in for quite big money and people were a little bit sceptical about it because of what happened at Chelsea, I think anybody who watched him in Germany knew he was going to adapt and knew he was going to be able to make a big impact. And he's been utterly outstanding really unlucky with injury at times um you know you think of that facial injury and got in the champions league final you know he's had some unlucky stuff happen to him but the guy's terrific and he's tough as well i, I know he floats around and he does his thing but he's he's tough it, 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 the problem he's had is is that actually his two biggest occasions those two champions league finals he's got injured in both of them hasn't he which has been really yeah. sad for him because he deserves a little bit more uh, than that. He deserves to be crowned. Maybe third time lucky is coming at the end of this season and City likely to go on a winning run now as they usually do at this stage of the season. But they didn't have it all their own way during that game against uh, um, Newcastle, did they? And they got. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why I have still have a little bit of confidence in my Liverpool prediction because their defence looks so shaky. They conceded yet another two goals. They've conceded to Everton recently. They've conceded two against Newcastle, two against Crystal Palace. You know, Luton scored against them down at Kenilworth Road as well. That's an area where they have to be a little bit tighter, I think. Yeah, agreed. They've struggled for clean sheets all season, as you just articulated. But it was it was a strange game at St James's Park because let's be honest, they could have been four up before Newcastle scored, and then obviously Newcastle score a brilliantly it's taken equaliser. And then a few minutes later, they they score again, and you think, "Wow, City could be in trouble here." But I've got to say, I still, as probably we all did, felt they could come back and win it, particularly when De Bruyne came off the bench. But yeah, all the time they're conceding goals, it will give their rivals hope. But I think we have to give Newcastle a little bit of credit because it's been a difficult second album for them, if you like, trying to follow up on what they achieved last year. They've picked up a lot of injuries as well. But they're still a really good team. You know, particularly at home, they'll still take it to you. They've got individual quality themselves with Isak in particular, who I think if they have to sell a player, there's going to be a lot of Premier League clubs and a lot of clubs across Europe knocking on their door for him. They've got, obviously, uh, Gimar Reich as well, who's going to have his suitors. So I still think it's a difficult place to go. And therefore, you've got to give City a lot of credit to come from behind and, and win the game without Erling Haaland. Let's not forget about him. He's still to come back fully refreshed and firing. And despite the fact they can see goals, I, I can see City doing what they did last year, winning 15 games in a row and then probably getting the title wrapped up by about March. And what was the second album that your favourite band, S Club 7, released? Do you know? <laughs> was it a difficult second <laughs> album suppose. for them? Uh, I, I couldn't tell you the name of it. So there you well, go. It, it was, it was, it was called Seven and it had Reach for the Stars, which arguably is their biggest hit, and Natural, which was a great record. Um, so was that? would you say that that was a difficult second second album? That was quite a good second album <laughs> from your band. Where did you read that analogy, by the way? <laughs> Because you and it just and came mu- to me. And music and musical references don't go together very well. <laughs> uh, Edison off injured <laughs> during this game. 
um, early on, uh, which would probably be quite preventable, really. But it was because they allowed play on from a not very tight situation in an offside. And then he got clattered. I mean, that's not why he got injured, because the the line the linesman is told to do that. Okay, that that's going to happen. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was slightly frustrating for Pep Guardiola, who's also lost John Stones in a similar circumstance earlier in the season. Um, Newcastle could drop to eleventh if Ball, Wolves beat Brighton next Monday night live on Talk Sport. They probably do need the, the winter break and a bit of a rest. They've, they've lost a lot of games, but performances should, I think, give encouragement to the board that Eddie Howe is still the man that should be trusted there, Kev. Um, but do you, are you a little bit concerned about the way that they've started to concede a, a lot of goals in their matches recently too? I mean, Nottingham Forest got three there on Boxing Day. Yeah, I think that is a big concern. Uh, and I think injuries have been a big part of that because obviously then you've been kind of driving certain players into the ground. Uh, you know, Joe Linton's recently picked up an injury as well. That's another big blow. Huge, um, huge blow. Uh, so they built so much of last season on that solidity. So when that then goes and when the tiredness kicks in, it's very, very difficult to maintain that. I mean, at the start of the season, when I was asked kind of where I thought teams would finish, I had them as eighth. I thought they, mm. there would be a drop-off because they were in the Champions League. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's where they kind of end up. I think the temptation will be maybe to go for a more shiny manager. Maybe, you know, I wonder if they'd make a play for, you know, somebody like Deserbi or somebody like that. You know, somebody who's a fashionable manager. But I think Eddie Howe's done a really good job. I think clubs like them who are trying to make the step. Let's not forget Manchester City didn't just go, bang, we've got a world-class team, you know, they had a spell under Mark Hughes where they were kind of trying to grow and trying to bring in kind of better players than they had, but not elite players. That's where Newcastle are at. It's going to take a while for them to get to the kind of level where they want to be at. And I think that's a good thing because, you know, it should take clubs a while. Clubs should be developed sustainably and that's what they're going to have to do. So I would stick with Eddie Howe, but I wonder how much patience they'll have. Um, Manchester City obviously in a good position now to make an assault on the on the Premier League title race. They're currently up to second. They're two points off uh, Liverpool, and they both played the same games. Aston Villa in third. They've played twenty one games. They've got forty three points at this moment in time. You scroll down the, the the table just a little bit further. No, keep going. You'll get to Chelsea, who uh, beat Fulham by a goal to nil, uh, and it was a penalty. Um, I, I'm not sure how much of a penalty it really was. Um, Raheem Sterling got a little brush. Malagusto could have been sent off in the game. Chelsea had one of the most um, embarrassing panic ups right at the end of the game where the referee <laughs> wanted to blow the whistle but couldn't blow the whistle for full time because there is sort of an unwritten law where if a team has the ball in the penalty area and is on the attack, then he doesn't blow the whistle even if you've gone past the allotted time. And he was standing there, Anthony Taylor, with the whistle in his lips going, if you just clear the ball out of the penalty area, I will <laughs> blow for full time. At which point, Thiago Silva, of all people, kicked the ball straight up in the air, which landed in the penalty area again. And he went, well, I can't blow it now. <laughs> this is just ludicrous. So it went on for another 20 seconds. I mean, the, the panic at the end of what was a game in which Chelsea clearly were the better team, clearly had the better chances didn't put Fulham to bed and were just as their usual sort of mere self. Fulham, I mean, crikey, they 
offered very little. I think one chance in the entire game where Harry Wilson was prevented by George Petrovic. But apart from that, I mean, it was, let's just say it wasn't a classic, but it was three straight Premier League wins for, for Chelsea. So that that's a sign of things getting a little bit better, Crook. I'm convincing, I think would be the, the, the word I would uh, attach to Chelsea's performance. Uh, and you've got to remember, this is a Fulham side who've not won away from home in the Premier League since the first weekend of the season. So uh, obviously they've got their issues on their travels and it was nowhere near as good a performance from Fulham as what we saw, particularly in that first half at Anfield in the League Cup semi-final in midweek. I think Cole Palmer is is the shining light, is stating the obvious, but he's the one player who, who is really justifying his price tag of all the players that Chelsea have signed. And I think all the time he's fit and in form, they've got a chance maybe of, of that fifth place. I still think it's a little bit fanciful, but they're building a little bit of momentum, albeit without really convincing us that they're they're back to anywhere near their best. See, I thought you were going to be really clever then and go on a sort of musical analogy and talk about Cole Palmer being a brilliant lead guitarist, but yet they haven't got a great front man. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> My music analogies are done for one day. Yeah, for one day, I reckon for the season. Um, OK, let's round uh, things <laughs> off uh, by looking ahead at the movements in the market. It's transfer time. Crook, we'll get to you in just a second. We know you're the transfer guru, but uh, before we uh, before we talk about what could happen, let's talk about what has happened. Jane Sancho has gone back to Borussia Dortmund. He's gone home. He's gone home. He's, he's, he's happy again. He's just so he's so pleased to be to be out of uh, of Old Trafford and and playing back in the yellow of, of Borussia Dortmund. I know Crook's a little bit upset about this, but it's been quite interesting watching some of the the officials basically berate uh, Eric Ten Hag's assessment of Jaden Sancho. In fact, bigwigs coming out, Kev, and saying he hasn't got a discipline problem. He's just got a, an internal clock problem. And if you can sort of manage that, then he's a very good, useful addition to your squad, as I think he might have already shown. Yeah, I was surprised how sharp he looked, actually. I thought from the moment he came on, he was trying to combine with players. He was trying to get involved. Not everything came off. Within the first couple of minutes, he'd had a shot blocked. Um, it'll take a while with some of the players he doesn't know um, to kind of get those little combinations. But as soon as um, he was linking up with Marco Royce, it was working. I mean, they're really good friends. Um, we could see that from the moment he got back. And he played with a smile on his face. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it was absolutely true. And you could see that zip. You could see that. He's always so aware of what's going on. He's always trying to pull at the frayed edges of a defence. And he did that. Now, the caveat is it was against the worst team in the league. Darmstadt are <laughs> dreadful. So so let's not get too excited. But that kind of Jaden Sancho that we know from the Bundesliga, you know, in terms of affecting the game, combining with players, that was there. So that's a really nice start. The timekeeping thing is always going to be there, but Edin Terzic knows about that, knows how to handle him, has done so effectively before. Doesn't mean Sancho has carte blanche, doesn't mean that he can take the mick. You know, there is discipline there. And guys like Sven Bender and Nuri Shaheen have come into the coaching staff and they won't mess about. They're Dortmund guys through and through. So I think he'll be challenged in that regard, but he certainly won't be ostracised in the way that he was. So... Oh. I think it's an encouraging start. 
Okay. Um, all right. Um, we know that Kane is on course to beat Lewandowski's record, 22 in the first half of the season. Impressive. Top scorer in Germany is English. Yes. Top scorer in Spain, English. <laughs> yes. Top scorer in England is not going to the Euro, so it doesn't matter. Uh, nor is the second top scorer, right? But the third top scorer is Dominic Solanke. Yes. English. Um, he might be going the, to Euros. Might be, and the, uh, the 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 joint third top scorer is not going to the Euros. Um, so the fourth top scorer is Jared Bowen going to the Euros. Um, so lo- there's loads of there's, there's loads of sort of goals around, which is good news uh, for English football going into the European Championships. Um, Crook, we haven't got long. Uh, my battery's about to run out on my laptop, and uh, we've already sort of uh, overrun a little bit. So um, do you want to do a little bit of, uh, of transfer talk? If my battery runs out and it goes blank, uh, then you just take it to the end. But uh, transfers, you've already alluded to the fact that there's not much happening. Now you've got Hannibal Medjbury, uh off to Sevilla. He flew over there last night for a loan move from Manchester United. They've also secured a 20 million euro option for the end of the season. So let's see how he does there. And Sergio Reguilón obviously spent the first half of the season at United. They sent him back um, when Luke Shaw showed signs of getting close to fitness. Brentford, I'm told, have spoken both to Tottenham and to Reguilón himself. But he's going to need a bit of convincing, apparently, having played for Real Madrid and Spurs and Manchester United. He's maybe not convinced that Brentford is a, a step forward. But let's see, because I don't, again, I'm not sure they're going to be queuing up, but he certainly won't get into the Tottenham team anytime soon. Just embrace it, fella. Just embrace it. It's a great place to go and play your football. Slightly smaller than the Burnabout and Old Trafford. Uh, only slightly. <laughs> uh, a little. He's brain uh, dead if he doesn't take that move, by the way. Absolutely. What an opportunity. It's yeah, I think so. Especially with Rico Henry out as well. You know, he'll get a chance to play there, won't he? Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers against uh, Brentford in particular. There, yeah, it's worth pointing out. Uh, FA Cup third round replay. Talk, Talk Sport 2 on Tuesday night. I'm going to Bristol uh, for Bristol City against West Ham. That's a big game for David Moyes. Um, the FA Cup third round replay. And then Wednesday night, Everton Crystal Palace is on Talk Sport. Blackpool Nottingham Forest is on Talk Sport 2. I'm going to Blackpool actually for that one as well for the television. And I'm looking forward to it as well. I have tried to convince Mark Pugach to do his opening on the Big Dipper. Not necessarily sure. He's going for it. Uh, Kev, thank you very much. Crookie, thank you very much. We'll see you thank again you. later in the week as we build up to another weekend, a split week of five Premier League games. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.